The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Again, that's Luke 6, 1 verse, sorry, verse, verses 1 through 11, page 861 in your pew Bibles. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come, stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm or to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right, our passage today shows us a confrontation between Jesus and Pharisees over the issue of the Sabbath. And at first glance, it doesn't seem to have much to do with our lives, does it? Um, How many of you have argued about whether or not you can walk through a field and rub heads of grain through your hands? Is that a huge debate for you? I saw on Facebook some of you were really going at each other (laughs) over walking through grain fields on Sundays. No, none of you are doing that. But if we remember what Sabbath was originally about, we're going to see that this debate they're having has everything to do with our lives, everything to do with human need and where we find it. Um, Do you agree with me that our hearts long for rest? Rest, okay? In the modern world, anybody ever feel like you're a slave to career, to schedule, to pressure, to responsibilities? to what people think or expect or desire or want for you, and it's never enough, right? And now we have, I mean, study after study shows, we, we, we don't even know how to rest anymore because as soon as we sit down to quit working, you pull out your smartphone and you look at social media, and in all honesty, it stresses you out, you become less content with your life, your relationships become more shallow, We don't know how to have real conversations. In this day and age in which we have leisure beyond leisure, we don't know how to rest. Not only that, there's this heart rest that we need. You know, the heart always asks the question, am I good enough? Am I significant enough? Am I okay? Can I be satisfied in what I am? And, um, you know, I'm having my midlife crisis. Am I? Have I, done, have I done enough? 
Will I do enough? When I reach the end of my road, will it have been enough? And what did this crowd think? And what did that crowd think? And were those people happy? Is it enough? And then you find there's no rest. There's always something you could have done better, always something you could have done more. Always somebody says, no, it wasn't enough. So if you can't feel that, maybe your life is more put together than mine is. But I think we need rest. And so Jesus here in this passage is saying to me, Hopefully, I'll be able to listen. And he's saying to you, and he's saying to the world, hey, everybody, you're longing for something that you are only going to find in me. And so, you know, my prayer, and I hope it's your prayer as we sit here, Lord, show me, show me what you want me to find that you alone can give. So I want to, I got a few ideas I want us to kind of hang our hats on as we walk through this. Uh, We're thinking of the Sabbath, rest. So number one, intention of the Sabbath. What was this all about anyway? There's a lot of, uh, I don't know what you have in your mind when you hear Sabbath day, Um, but I want us to see what was God's intention with this thing. Uh, Number two, how did it get so twisted? We're gonna see the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath and it's not gonna feel like the first thing we encounter. So how did it get so twisted? So the intention of the Sabbath, twisting of the Sabbath. Then I wanna see the authority on the Sabbath, who knows all about this? Finally, the source of that Sabbath rest. Where can we get it? So intention, twisting, authority, source. And we'll think about some significance for our lives. So here we go. First of all, the intention of the Sabbath. Um, did any of you grow up in, a, in maybe a church that was a little more conservative and like you couldn't ride your bike on Sunday? Did anybody have that? You couldn't play cards? On, some of us did. There's a handful of us. I've heard your stories. You're not allowed to like tell a joke on Sunday. You know, to where the Sabbath became this kind of, um, it's summed up in one word. Maybe you had a flavor of that. For most of us, though, I don't, I don't think we do. It's, uh, we've kind of gone the other way where we don't even know what it means to intentionally stop and rest. Anyway, for, for first century Jews, and that's where we are, right? How you kept the Sabbath had become this major, major thing on showing that you loved God and you were right with God. It had become this major thing. And so they even had rules. They did it on purpose. They wanted to protect the law. So they put boundaries around the law, and that meant we'll make more rules so that if we keep those, we'll know we'll never break the actual rule. And then soon those extra rules became actual rules. And man, it's a lot of rules at some point. So, just ask the question, what was this all about? What is this for? Is God, I don't know, sometimes we think of the Sabbath, and it's like, is God this miserly fellow who just really likes to kind of, you know what I'm saying? He likes to watch you and just, he's waiting for you to slip something up, and his real, his hobby horse is telling you not to do stuff. No, no, no. Um, Is that his attitude? Is that his heart? And is that what Sabbath is about? If you feel like that's his heart towards you, if you feel like his rules or his ways are chains, you're gonna have a hard time worshiping him, aren't you? Some of you feel that right now. You have this sense that God is a mean uncle who just wants to control you and keep you from being happy. And I want you to know, I think you've misunderstood God if that's how you feel about him. Let's look at the original Sabbath account, okay? You really have to go all the way back to the beginning of the world. And if, if you're reading through Genesis 1, you, you see this powerful, generous, lavish God just making all this beauty, 
we see around us. And after he makes every little thing, do you remember what he says? He's got kind of this, uh, this mantra. What's he say? Oh, that's good. Okay, that's good. So my daughter was making cupcakes yesterday. And, you know, there's a few steps to this. You make the batter, and then what do you do? That's good. Okay, and then she did, which is, it's, you know, this is truly God's gift, a sign that God loves us and wants to be happy, cream cheese frosting. That's good, okay? It doesn't have to be food. You, you go to the sunset, you're with a friend. What do you say? Oh, that's nice, that's beautiful. You hear a beautiful song. You, you, you got people who love music. Oh, that's good. What is this, Okay. Look with me at the end of Genesis chapter one into Genesis chapter two. Verse one, God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was, oh, that's very good. It's very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the hosts of them. On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So it's a little surprising, isn't it? God rests. So here's one way it's a little weird for us, because I need to rest because I'm weak and I get tired. Anybody else? You can appreciate that, okay? Is that why God rests? Was he like, you know, whoo, all this making the stars and everything. I'm worn out. Listen, God never gets tired in that way. It's part of the definition of who he is as God. He is always strong and mighty. He never sleeps. He never is confused. He never has to look away. He's always everything. He's eternally strong and powerful. So in what way then is he resting? This is really important. In what way is he resting? He's resting like, oh, that's good. For him, it's to take a moment to enjoy and be satisfied with the work you've done. Take a moment to enjoy and be satisfied with the work you've done. And so God sets up this pattern where he's got this day where it's holy. That means it's set apart. It belongs to him. It's not just for everything you were doing, the whole rest of it. There's this moment that's different. So you gotta stop everything else. Stop. Hey, Americans, stop. And get your mind on something else. And it's holy, and he blesses the day. Blessing means lavish grace is good. He sets it apart. He blesses it so that he can be satisfied in the work that he's done. Does that sound like a burden? Does that sound nice every once in a while? That's the heart of it. And so then God's pattern is meant to be our pattern. I want to take you now to the fourth of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Remember, this is a commandment. Do you remember the prelude of the commandments? I'm gonna paraphrase it for you. Hey, y'all, I saved your mess from slavery. I want what's good for you. I'm paraphrasing. I saved you from slavery. Now, here's how to live the good life. This is what you're made for. Look at the fourth command. Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What's that first word? I just wanna, I want you to catch on to that. Remember, because what are you going to forget to do? You're going to forget to rest. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Hey, remember to set some time aside for this. 
Don't let it get away from you. Hey, but I gotta make more money. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Verse nine, here's the pattern. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. On the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day, to the Lord your God. Another little hint here, you're not fully resting until you're enjoying your God. Mark that down. You got a day off, you're gonna rest, what are you gonna do? You are not truly resting until you are enjoying the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. Seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not, let's, let's count all the things you're not allowed to do. You shall not do any, don't work. What's the usual stuff you have to do to provide for yourself? Work, what are you not supposed to do? That, that. Does it mean don't go for a walk? No. Does it, does it mean don't make dinner for somebody? Only if you're a cook in a restaurant. Does it mean don't enjoy something? No, it's quit striving. Honestly, you should not do any work. Now pay attention to this. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I like how Sinclair Ferguson sums, sums this up. He says, externally, that meant ceasing from your ordinary tasks in order to meet with God. Internally, oh, here's, here's even a bigger part. Internally, it means ceasing from all self-sufficiency in order to rest in God's grace. Why you gotta keep working? Because if you don't, it's all gonna fall apart because it all hinges on you. It's as if you are the Christ. Save the world. And the Sabbath day is like, <laughs> it doesn't hinge on you. Trust me. Trust me. I'm God. Rest. That's great. Ceasing from your ordinary task in order to meet with God. Ceasing from self-sufficiency in order to rest in God's grace. But did you see how it also involves restoring your neighbor? This was, this was crazy for the time. That not only Israelites had to quit working. Guess who, could they, guess who else had to quit working? Anyone who worked for them. They can't even make their ox plow a field on the Sabbath. Because guess who gets a day off? The ox. They can't make sojourners, refugees, the people who make my couch. No, 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 no. Everybody, rich or poor, slave or free, doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter if you're powerful, doesn't matter if you're weak, everybody gets to rest. It's unprecedented for the ancient world that we would give them rest too. Unbelievable. Uh, there was actually an article in the New York Times Magazine Entitled, I and mean, this doesn't shock you, it's in the New York Times. It was called Bring Back the Sabbath. <laughs> Bring Back the Sabbath. So the author, she says, We're going crazy. We need this. And I just want to quote part of what she says. She gets so much right. I want to quote part of what she says in that article. Judith uh, Shulevitz says, the Israelite Sabbath institutionalized an astonishing, hitherto undreamed of notion that every single creature has the right to rest, not just the rich and privileged. 
Covered under the fourth commandment are women, slaves, strangers, and improbably animals. The verse in Deuteronomy elaborates on this aspect of the Sabbath. It repeats twice that slaves were not to work as if to drive home what must have been very hard to understand in the ancient world. The Jews were meant to perceive the Sabbath not only as a way to honor God, but as the central vehicle of their liberation theology, a weekly reminder of their escape from their servitude in Egypt. They knew what it's like to be slaves, always work, 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 no break, no dignity, work. And now they're saved by God to come and and work becomes meaningful and dignified and they can rest. And so the Israelites are, and you got to give that to everybody else too. You got to give that to everybody else too. So it's not only God's love for us and our love for God, it also turns into God's love for others and our love for our neighbor. Amazing. So the Sabbath speaks to who you are, doesn't it? You are not a slave. That's what it says. The Sabbath says you are more than your work. Praise God. Praise God. You know, if your work is really awesome and you're making tons of money and you're promoted, 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 and you work hard, what are you going to think about yourself? You're awesome. And you are. Everybody in here, you're awesome. But what are you going to think of yourself? I'm awesome. And what does the Sabbath make you do? Maybe I'm receiving gifts. Maybe there's somebody else who's more awesome. I need to give him time. I need to give others time. Or maybe you do your work and your work never worked like you wanted it to work. You never reached the goals you wanted to reach. You never was as effective as you'd hoped you'd be. Maybe you can't even find the work you needed and you think, ah, what what do I have to offer? And what does the Sabbath say to you? You are more than your work. Gosh, I need that. You're more than your work. It speaks to who you are. It speaks to who you are because it speaks to whose you are. Why do you rest? God says, because you're mine. Because you're mine. I'm enough for you. I am the answer to who you are. You can rest and you can give others rest. So if you summed up the intention of the Sabbath, the intention, the heart of it, couldn't you say it's satisfied rest in God's work and care? Satisfied rest in God's work and care. Yeah, God's work through you too, but satisfied rest in him and love for your neighbor. Love for your neighbor. That's the intention of it. Now let's see the twisting of it. By the time you get out of Exodus all the way into Luke, where we are today, man, they have done some work on the Sabbath. They have done some additions to the Sabbath. And you know that old phrase, sometimes less is more? That's very important with this. (laughs) Sometimes less is more. They added more. Scholars say, if if you read rabbinic literature, there are chapter after chapter after chapter of descriptions of what you cannot do on the Sabbath. And some of it, as you read it, is, is, to us, it would be quite humorous. To them, it was very serious. So here's one. On the Sabbath, you cannot carry more than the weight of a dried fig. Okay? Which means, ladies, some of your jewelry you cannot wear. <laughs> because it weighs more than a dried fig, and that is considered work. 
Do you, see, do you hear where we're going with this? You can go on and on, and they do. One of my favorites is you can't climb a tree because if you climb a tree, branches and leaves might fall, and that has to do with farming. It's work. No tree climbing. My daughter's going to be really disappointed. Uh, another one, be careful where you spit. You must spit into a rag if you're going to spit because if you spit on the ground, that's like watering your garden, which is work. Folks, it's not even a joke. I mean, to, to us, it's like, this is hilarious. Who came up with this mess? It goes on and on and on, and they are watching you. And they have power, and if you don't keep these rules, we don't even know if you love God. That is the way it became by this day. And so you get this picture with Jesus, right? Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields. This is how you get anywhere, okay? People have farms. They have grain fields. And so you walk through. There's actually a law for this in Deuteronomy where it's cool if, if I have a grain field and you walk through my grain field, it's not cool if you get out your uh, sickle and start farming my mess, right? That's stealing. <laughs> but if you're walking through my grain field, you can grab a little bit, rub some of the husk off, and have a snack. It's like grape nuts or something, Okay. You can do that. That's lawful. It's in Deuteronomy 25. Jesus and his disciples are doing this. They're for a walk. They're taking some grain. They're eating it. And then out of nowhere, don't you love this, verse 2? Some of the Pharisees says, what you're doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. But don't you kind of wonder where they were? Were they like hiding in the grain field? <laughs> we saw that. It's like this in Luke. They're, they're watching him all the time. They're watching them all the time, the, the legalism, the you, you better worship God like we do. Watching them all the time. It's not lawful for you to do what you're doing. Look at Jesus' response. It's so awesome. Jesus answered them, have you not read? Now, first of all, I pulled this on somebody yesterday. It's not always a nice thing to do. But when somebody's really religious and they really love the Bible and they confront you on something and you say, haven't you read the Bible? Have they read the Bible? They have, they have a lot of the Bible memorized. But he's saying, you know, it's amazing how you can read the Bible and not understand it. That's what he's saying to them. We've got to be careful. It's amazing how you story about David. Uh, you could read this in 1 Samuel. Have you not read what David did when he's hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, took it, ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the, of the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. A little bit of context, okay? Uh, number one, who's David? Why do we bring him up? He's the ultimate Israelite king, okay? How do the Pharisees feel about David, at least officially? They're all for him, right? They have to be. We want a king like him, so they are pro-David. And yet, look what David did on the Sabbath day, okay? So if you go to, to uh, the tabernacle, there's this uh, holy bread. There's 12 loaves. Can you guess why? 12? Anyone? Represents God's people there right before him and how he, he uh, provides for them. Okay, it's very symbolic. It's part of the worship is always supposed to be there. And it's holy. It's ceremonially holy. So only the priests can eat it. Uh, it's number one, they get to eat those things. They live on that. Okay, they live on the, on the worship, which is fine and fair. And it shows it's, it's, uh, it's distinct. So you guys, the rest of you don't eat it. That's for them. It's holy. But David comes through. It's a bit of an emergency in this story. It's an emergency. And his men are, are very hungry. They haven't had anything to eat. 
And so it's an emergency, they're hungry, there's this bread, they're about to replace it with a new version anyway, and they say, can we eat this? And what does the priest, he's a good priest and he's a faithful priest, what does he say? Of course you can eat it. Of course you can eat it. And what did we just see? What's more important? Loving your neighbor or ritual symbol? Loving your neighbor. It's not demeaning the ritual symbol. We, we want to do it that way. If you have food to eat at home, we're not, you're not going to eat this. But in, a, in an emergency, loving your neighbor is more important than ritual symbol. And not only that, the king, King David, he had the right to make that choice. I know he's not king yet, but he will be. That's the story Jesus brings up. What is he doing to them? Why, is he, why does he bring up that? He could have, gosh, he could have brought up nearly anything. Why does he bring up that one? He's showing them that they've twisted the Sabbath. You've lost the whole point of love and compassion and rest in God's goodness. And you've made it this self-righteous law you've got to keep. And, and you use it to hurt and harm other people. You've twisted it. King David shows you that. So we see how they've twisted the Sabbath. Isn't it amazing how we do that? You guys ever seen that before? You take something good and then you twist it, make it worse. Have you ever done that before? That's what's been done here. Jesus says, well, that's a twisted version. Now we're going to see the authority on the Sabbath, the authority. Look at verse 5. What does Jesus drop on them? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You got to know your Bible a little bit to know how big this is. Do you remember that title, Son of Man? We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Where's that from? Anybody remember? Daniel 7, the prophet, he's seen all the kingdoms of the world. They're like beasts. They're going to be judged. But then this king comes, and he's like a son of man. He comes before the father, and the father says, I'm giving you all the nations of the world forever. They're going to worship you. Huge title. And what does Jesus call himself? That's me. I'm the king of kings forever. God's king of kings forever. I'm the son of man. Huge claim. And then he says... I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Now, some skeptics will say Jesus never claims to be God. And in a way, they're right. He doesn't say, hey, I'm a new God on the block. No, never. He'll say things like, I and the Father are one. But did you hear what he just said? If you know this biblical background, okay, who started the Sabbath thing? We looked at this. God did when he created everything. Who gave the law? Remember the Sabbath, fourth command. God did on the mountain with Moses. And what did Jesus just drop about himself? I'm king of the Sabbath. Which means he's saying, I created it. I wrote it. Amazing. Amazing. Do you hear Jesus' claim on you right now? His claim on the world right now. Do you hear Jesus speaking to you right now? Let me speak for him according to his word. He is saying to you, I made you. I have written what is good for you. Will you submit to me on this? And I am the one who can give you rest. Look at me. That's what he's saying. Look at me. Wow, what a claim. Does he, does he say, hey, the Sabbath is over. We don't need Sabbath anymore. No. What does he say? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. 
What does the word Lord mean? It, it at least means in charge, right? What do you think about this mixture between his authority and your rest? His authority and your rest. I, w- I was thinking about this myself. I think, uh, uh, are you ever afraid of Jesus' authority? So in other words, you don't want him to be king of every aspect of your life. Listen, if you ever sin, that's what you're doing, okay? You ever rebel against God, that's what you're doing. You didn't, you didn't trust him. In that moment when you rebelled, you didn't think his, his ways were good. You thought you knew better, right? You thought, Jesus, actually, you're not a great Lord. I'll be Lord. That's what you did, right? Every, every time you rebelled, every time you sinned, I'll be Lord. Get out the way. I know better, right? And you did that because you wanted to be happy. You wanted to find satisfaction. You wanted to find rest somehow. You're looking for something good, and you thought, Jesus isn't going to give me what's really good, so I need to do this. So Jesus, get your lordship out of the way. Thanks for the forgiveness you offer for the mistakes I'm going to make now as I am king of my own life. Has anybody ever done that other than me? Okay. Do you see what Jesus is doing with combining his lordship and Sabbath? You can't know rest and joy and satisfaction until you've submitted to him and surrendered to him as Lord over everything. Look at how he says it in Matthew eleven twenty eight. We read this this morning. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and heavy laden. Listen, if that's you today, if you come in here beat up for whatever reason, there can be a piece of grace to this for you, a piece of God's love, because you're ready to look for rest. Maybe you're starting to give up on yourself. And he says, if that's you, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. And what does he say? End of verse 28. I will give you rest. And then what's so ironic is, I mean, you want, you want rest, right? So what's the image of rest in your mind? I'm like brown lazy boy, right? The one I have in my living room where I can put my feet up. Rest, okay? I will give you rest. And so Jesus is about to pull something out and give it to you. Take my, what is it? Yoke. Do you know what a yoke is? It's not egg yolk. It's you strap it onto oxen to pull something, which sounds like work. Come here, I'll give you rest. Let's work. This is why I said I'm not, I'm not sure I'm, I'm... To yoke up with Jesus is to say, you're my king. I'll latch on with you and I'll go where you go. And I'll do what you say. And Jesus is saying, if you'll do that, you'll have rest. If you do that, you'll have rest. I'll be doing the heavy lifting. I'll be doing the work. You'll be right here under my arm. But let's go. Come with me. Yoke up with me. We want to do, Jesus, give me rest, but no yoke. And Jesus says, there is no rest there. That's not real. We want the third way, right? Over here, there's a really bad person way. No, God. No, we can't do that. Over here is a really intense Christian thing, all your life thing. Is there like a casual road where I can kind of do like some sort of kind of and still get the rest? And, and Jesus is like, no. Yoke up with me. Come on, I'll give you rest. And so now it's the issue of do you trust him? The Lord of the Sabbath. Do you trust him? I want to throw out this verse at you. 
Sometimes we look at the Christian life as if, you know, if we can suffer enough by doing these commands that are so wearisome, maybe God will finally be so amazed at how much we've suffered in obeying him that he'll be like, okay, I'll love you. Christianity feels that way to so many people. It's not anything at all what the Bible's talking about. Deuteronomy 6.24, the Lord commands us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good. Something changes in you when you realize God's lays and God's laws and Jesus' lordship are for your, they're for your good. You'll actually do better. You'll actually be more satisfied. Anyway, the Pharisees chafe at this. He's striking at what is most precious to them. They receive their significance and identity from preserving and keeping these traditions. Did you carry more than a dried fig yesterday? No, I had half a dried fig. I'm good to go. They receive their identity from this, and in their circles, they are praised and heroic and virtuous because, man, they follow all these things so specifically. And Jesus just said, that's all just a dumpster fire. I'm in charge. Follow me. I'll give you rest. They don't like this. So we've seen he's the authority on the Sabbath. Now let's see the source, the source of the Sabbath. Takes us to our next little story, verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered a synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So there was some sort of paralysis this guy has. His hand doesn't work right. It's, the muscles are tight, and he can't, he can't use it. Agricultural society, gosh, that's hard. It'd be hard anyway. It'd be hard today. It'd be really hard then. It'd be really hard then. In the service, there's some things where the, probably the men would lift their hands, and, and he can't do it. His hand is withered. So he's, he's in there on the Sabbath. And look at verse 7. Oh, man, can you believe this? Verse 7, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. This blows my mind. Reason number one, they actually think it would be wrong for him to heal this guy on the Sabbath. What kind of ethic are you playing with when that's wrong? They had so over-legalized this thing where they actually had as part of Sabbath, uh, because you cannot work to please God, if your neighbor is hurting or injured, you need to make a decision. Are they about to die? Then you can help them. If not, wait till tomorrow. It's part of their Sabbath. You broke your leg, your, your tire fell off your car, it's 6 p.m., I'll be back in 12 hours. I need to honor God. What? The tradition has gotten so huge and so crusted and so calcified that they can't even see the value of healing somebody else. Not only that, I want to speak to the skeptics in the room here for a minute. The skeptics. Sometimes we say, you know, if I saw a miracle or something amazing, if God did this, then I could believe. I just want us to be careful with our hearts because look at how far, far gone these people's hearts are. They are saying, they're watching to Jesus to see if he would heal so that, right, if he heals, we'll know he's God and we'll worship him. No. They're watching to see if he'll heal so that they can accuse him for the miracle he's done. And is anybody else just like, are you totally ignoring the point that he just is going to do a miracle? They, they saw every miracle and they hated him. 
They saw every miracle and they hated him. Sometimes the evidence doesn't matter when your heart wants something. And if you want to deny Jesus like these Pharisees, they had every evidence right in front of their noses and it did not matter because they did not want him. Check your heart. Check your heart. Can you really follow evidence where it leads? And either way, they're watching. They're hoping he'll heal this guy so they can accuse him. Unreal. Verse 8, look at Jesus. He knew their thoughts. He keeps pulling this off. He did this uh, last week too. He knows their thoughts. And he says to the withered man, come and stand here. Who's going to offer rest to this withered man? Is it going to be the Pharisees? Is it going to be Jesus? Jesus has made this claim that he's Lord of the Sabbath. And now he asks this question, verse 9. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? You care about the law, Pharisees? You tell me what fits in with God's law, helping people or not helping people? And this is not one of those questions where you're like, oh, let me consider, you know. Are we supposed to help people? Leviticus, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. In the law, the answer is not confusing or difficult, but what Jesus is doing is he's closing them in. Is it lawful for me to heal this guy right now and help him? Because they want to say, no, it's not. And he said, you read the law. Is it lawful to love people or not? So he's putting them in a corner to where they either have to condemn him and the law or they have to submit to him. Look what he does. After looking at them in verse 10, he says, stretch out your hand. This is one of those moments you'd like to be the fly on the wall, wouldn't you? The tension in the room, they're mad, they're powerful. Jesus has called them out. He, he brought this guy up. He's standing there on, on, the, on the stage. He's withered. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And then it would be like that. I mean, in slow mo, you, how, does it, how does it look to see his hand go? And then everybody's just jaw, just, <gasps> Wow. Jesus just gave him rest. What should your response be when you see that? It should be on the floor. It should be worshiping Jesus. You're, you're my king of rest. Let's do it. Let's yoke up. I'm yours. And look at verse 11. It's just shocking, isn't it? They were filled with what? Fury. And discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is, this is the first time in this gospel where they're like, we got to kill him. And what do they want to kill him for? Healing someone on the Sabbath because it gets in the way of their own autonomy, their own control, their own self-righteousness. They don't want to need him. They don't want to need him. I've made a few people angry sometimes when I say, you need Jesus. You don't, we don't want to be told we need. We need a Savior. But what is Jesus saying to everybody? You need me. You need me. They want to kill him. You know what? Later they will. And I told you our point supposedly is the source of the Sabbath. And you might be like, when are you going to get to that? Right now. In killing him, you received your Sabbath rest. 
in their killing him, you received your Sabbath rest. What did Jesus say on the cross, John 19, 30? Three beautiful words. It is finished. What's finished? Everything necessary to make you absolutely pleasing to the Father. Everything necessary. Hebrews 4.10 is thinking about Jesus as our priest who brings us into the presence of God, who makes us right with God. And in Hebrews 4.10, the author there says, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So you remember way back in Genesis 1, how did God rest from his works? He was satisfied, right? Remember that? He's satisfied. Oh, this is good. When you have Jesus as your priest and you look at your life, have I been good enough? Have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Will I ever be enough? The author of Hebrews is saying you can have the same kind of satisfaction and rest that God did in his own work. How can this be? It's because Jesus did the work for you. For you. If, if you stand before a holy God and he looks at the book of your life and how much you loved your neighbor or didn't, how much you loved him or didn't, what grade will you It won't be enough. And you could go out from here training, well, I'll try to be a better dad and I'll try to work harder and I'll try to read the Bible more and I'll grit my teeth and I'll do it. And guess what? Tomorrow, it won't be enough. And you could do it for years and years until your deathbed and guess what? It won't be enough. But if you have Jesus' book there, as your priest, his perfection, the beauty of his life, accounted to you by faith. You trust in him. Guess what the Father says about your work? It's enough. I'm satisfied. You're enough. You're more than your ministry, you're more than your job. You're more than how good you parented. And in Jesus, you're enough. Can you rest in what he did for you on the cross? He paid for your sins. He earned your righteousness. And how do you get this? Not by climbing up a mountain and carrying a stone. It's by trusting him. It's faith. I trust you. I turn to you. I lean on you. Man, you want to rest? I'm standing. Guess what you're all doing? You are sitting. I didn't mean that to be complicated. <laughs> You're sitting. And I could look at that chair and be like, man, if I sat in that chair, I wouldn't have to stand anymore. Maybe one day I'll sit down again. Well, I will this afternoon. Don't sweat that. My illustration is don't look at Jesus from afar and think, yeah, he could give me rest. Sit in the chair. There's a moment when you're sitting, right? You get to hear you can still do squats if you do that at the gym. You can get back up again. But there's a moment when you let go of your weight and you let the chair hold you up. And that is just this little picture of faith. I'm not, remember this is the Sabbath, I'm not relying on myself anymore and my ability to save myself and my ability to be good and my ability to change the world and my ability and my, no, I'm not relying on myself anymore for rest. I'm relying on him. 
I'm going to sit in him. I'm going to rest in his work for me on the cross. Beautiful. Here's what's beautiful, too, is when you, when you find his rest, you can give it to others. When you find his rest, you can give it to others. Aren't you struck with how cold the Pharisees were towards his brother who went to synagogue with him? Cold. Cold. They were so involved with making themselves somebody according to this law they'd created that they used that law to demean and deny other people. They were cold. And oh, just to let go of your own little fake law and to trust Jesus to make you right with God, it frees you. And guess what it could have freed them to do? Love their neighbor. Serve. Bless. Wow. What can I say, guys? I hope you know Jesus as your king of rest. I hope you know him as your king of rest. Talk through a few questions with you. Do you rest in his work on the cross for you to make you somebody, to make you right with God, to make you significant? Do you rest in that? Do you rest in his perfect life, his death, his resurrection? Are you still trying to say, God, I'm right with you because I'm good at something? Rest in him. Next question. Are you finding your rest in submitting to him as your Lord? You can't do the Jesus save me without the Jesus lead me. Have you yoked up with him? Are you willing to follow him? Are you seeing his commands, his truth as rest? Three, where do our traditions and leisure keep us from loving others? Where are we doing this like the Pharisees? Where are we forgetting the heart of the law, loving your neighbor, caring about justice? Do we have good things we have to do that keep us from loving people? You think about that. How can we offer rest and restoration to those in need? And then to make it more practical, do you have any, I don't think we need to uh, not ride our bikes on Sundays. But I do want to ask you, do you have a discipline of making sure you remember your rest in God? Do you have time that is holy, that is set apart, where you stop working and you stop social media-ing and you remember that you're not your work and that you can rest in God's work for you? Because you know what? What does Jesus want us to have in him? Rest. What do we have in him? Rest. Let's mind those depths and find what we have to enjoy. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.